Welcome back to Coaching Kern in Episode 3. It's May 31st, 2022. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your host, former professional baseball player, college head coach, current MLB and NBA analyst. I'm joined by my co-host, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan, Hall of Famer, author, 47 plus years with the New York Post um, and in, in the industry, giving us unique baseball experience through baseball experiences. Kevin's also a former accomplished college baseball player himself. We're going to hear him talk a little bit about hitting today. You can find him on ball9.com, two phenomenal stories a week, and also on Twitter at AMBS underscore Kernan, K-E-R-N-A-N. You can now add world-famous podcaster to his list of taglines. After week two, we posted better numbers in week one with our downloads and actually increased our week one downloads by 200%. Keeps us in the top 20% globally. Um, We did not disappoint week two. We, We challenged ourselves and we delivered. You can find us on Twitter at D-A-V-I-D, D-A-G-O-S-T-I-N, 16. That's David D'Agostine, 16. Or you can search Coach and Kernan. You can again find Kevin on Twitter at AMBS underscore Kernan. Our additional social sites, we held back on them this week because we had so much traffic on our email and our Twitter that we decided to give that another week before we put it up. But you can stream us by searching Coach and Kernan on Stitcher, Amazon, Apple, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Please download, listen, follow, subscribe, and give us as many hearts as possible. You can communicate with us on email, coachingkernan at protonmail.com, all one word. Week two, we received over 500 email questions from guests up from 250 in week one. We'll select four each week on the air in our clubhouse segments, but all the guests that reach out to us, we will give you a response. So rest assured you do get a response. Um, With just... One Twitter account and now five streaming platforms. We touched fans in the U.S., New Zealand, South Africa, the Netherlands, Spain, the Dominican Republic, and Qatar. And I gave an interesting stat to our our co-host and our resident experts, who I'll I'll introduce in a minute. But we were the number 225. We were ranked in New Zealand as the most listened to podcast last week. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, We want to thank our sponsor, One on One. It's a pathway for college scholarships. As of this morning, up to 540 basketball, baseball, and softball scholarships, and now it's second year in existence, so completed year two on Memorial Day. Um, you can follow them on Twitter, at one-on-one, your shot on one, or on Instagram, at one-on-one, your shot on your terms. The premise of the platform is to make parents the first educator in a very confusing recruiting process. Thank them for their sponsorship. Kevin, good morning. I'll introduce our resident experts in a moment um, and the format. But first, just a little reminder to our audience about what we're about. And of course, you had two great stories go up this week. If you want to touch on those two stories. And one one of my favorite talks with you this week was a comment that you had that your daughter gave us about our our podcast, uh, an accomplished college baseball, or I'm sorry, college softball hitter, all-time home runs leader, and now a coach in Savannah. I would love to hear her. You give her comments as well, but good morning to you. Hey, good morning, everybody. And uh, we, we got to get better numbers in New Zealand if we're going to be successful. Let's go. Come on. Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. My daughter, Kelly, uh, you know, she's a big uh, she, she's in, she's in her college Hall of Fame, set a home run record, um, good player, good coach. But she listened to all the uh, made sure she listened to all. And I didn't force it down. You know, she she listened on her own and she made a great point because she's a coach at heart. And she said, uh, uh, after the episode two, she said, 
I think you guys now need a tagline like, and this is a quote, building a better baseball IQ. And I think that's a, a very uh, good comment because that's, that's what we need to do. We're trying to build a better I, baseball IQ. And along those lines, I, um, I spent most of the week at a, a baseball tournament up in Mount Olive, New Jersey, watching kids play from different age brackets. So I got, to, I got a real feel for where we are right now. And I don't want to go too heavy into that right now, but you can just see in some teams, they just don't have that. Uh, they don't have the sense of playing for keeps is, is the way I'll put it. They think, uh, I think there's in some ways, so the teams that were, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing about baseball. And I'm going to leave you, you know, I always start off with a quote and this is from Ray Knight. And um, he said, concentration is the ability to think about absolutely nothing when it is absolutely necessary. And I think that's so important. Um, you got to really clear your mind in this game. And, and um, I know a bull can talk about it later about, you know, having a certain amount of amnesia, but you also got to be in a right. What I, what I'm seeing from a lot of young athletes is that they're not in the right frame of mind when they get on the field, they're like goofing around or not focusing and focus in general, and not to get off on a tangent, and this may upset some people, but I'm just going to tell it like it is. Uh, by getting that great bagel that I got this morning at Bagel Train in Suffern, New York, I happened to be standing in line next to a, a town worker. And being AMBS, I talk to people. That's how you get to be America's most beloved sports writer. And I was asking, what's it like now in the job? And the guy just said, and he was a rather young guy. You know, you got to be in shape to do that job. He said, it's terrible. People are slobs. They've never been bigger slobs. I just got back from the local pool. I had to clean up. Uh, I had to clean up. Uh, a couple families decided to empty their cars out and just leave everything in, in the garbage. Uh, and I saw that even this week at, at tournaments. You know, kids would be, they drink their Gatorade. They just leave it anywhere, you know. So if you're a coach, the first thing you need to do is instill some discipline in these kids so they, they're not pigs right, right off the bat and just leave stuff all over. That's the first thing I'm going to say. The second thing is, and I think uh, my co-host Dave can address this later on, but he, he gave me a great comment. He said, we don't coach effort. If the effort isn't there, then you find other kids. It's really that simple because that's life. You're, you're building life's lessons here. And, uh, you know, too many kids now are just being passed along, passed along. The problems being passed along. So, so I'm going to be a little bit of hard ass today. And that's, uh, if you don't like it, you find another podcast. So, um, Having said that, I'll mention real quickly my last story I did for Ball Nine. Um, it was on, you know, Ray Liotta passed this week, great Jersey guy, worked in a pizza shop in Cranford when I lived in the next town over, Kenilworth, and uh, back in 1971-ish, uh, back in my high school days. But I talked to Dan Wallach, and down the road we'll have Dan on the show. To me, he's the foremost Joe Jackson expert in the country. He was former executive director of uh, Joe Jackson Museum in, in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. And he said, Ray Liotta, the thing that he did most did most well, he said he got, he got Joe Jackson better than anybody, than even he knew, because Joe Jackson was a great athlete. And remember, all we knew of Joe Jackson was 1920, you know, 1920 being uh, banned and all that stuff, 21, 1919, Black Sox trouble. He said he brought Joe Jackson back to life as an athlete for a whole new generation. And that was a great, uh, that was the great thing about that role. And if you think about it and you think about the movie 
you know, how he moved in the outfield, how he hit that line drive up the middle, the great line from Costner. Hey, don't we need a catcher? Not if you get it near the plate. So bring all that to the game. Bring some concentration, some um, uh, confidence, and also the ability to uh, not think and just react. And I'll, I'll leave it there, and uh, we can go on to uh, Bowl and Sal. No, I, I like that. And, you know, they, in the movie, they talk about Joe Jackson on defense. That's where Ty Cobb said so that's where triples go to die out there in left field. So, um, yeah, it's a great movie, and Ray Liotta did a phenomenal job. Before we go to our resident experts, I just want to share quick with the audience. Every day I probably send out 20 to 25 text messages, most of them uh, provided by Kevin um, from people that he's met over the years and, as he said, talks to, gets to know, listens to. Um, and without, without question, every text I get back um, has an endearing comment about Kevin and immediately connects me in an endearing way to them. Um, and I'll share one. Kurt Bavakwa sent one back yesterday, and he said, I love Kevin. So if I love Kevin, I guess that means I love you. Call me. And <laughs> so, I mean, it was, uh, it's, it's nice to hear. And the, the, the America most beloved sports writer, I mean, it's, uh, I got about 200 text messages that will, will, uh, will definitely back that up. So we thank you for the connections with the guests. Um, and, and now with that, I'll introduce our resident experts. Um, and we'll get right into our first segment, the clubhouse, uh, which is where we, examine emails from our guests. Uh, but, but first, I want to introduce Bull. Uh, again, uh, we'll affectionately refer to him as Bull in our podcast. 45 years in professional baseball as a player, a coach, a scout. Um, in our first two weeks, just invaluable information you've given out. And I wish the audience could hear our conversations in between because, um, as I tell you all the time, it gets smarter each, each time we talk. And I, I love that. Uh, good morning, Bull. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, guys. Good, good to have you. We've got some great questions for you. The audience wants to hear about pitching today. And um, our, our second resident expert, Sal Marinello, uh, one of the most unique performance coaches that I've encountered in my time in, in sports. Um, he enhances athletes across the spectrum from youth all the way to pros. And his understanding across sports, uh, we, we talk about thematic learning. Sal can talk across baseball, basketball, football, lacrosse, you name it. And uh, we, we just love him here again. Sal, thanks for making me smarter each time we talk, whether it's on the air or off the air. And welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. Looking forward to what uh, today's conversation will bring out. Yeah, and, and so, so gentlemen, welcome, welcome back. And again, we, we affectionately call our first segment, named by our audience, uh, the Clubhouse section. And I love Kevin's daughter's tagline, build a better baseball IQ. I think we're about to let our audience do that right now. Um, we had a successful two weeks communicating with coaches, players, parents throughout the, throughout the world. Um, and uh, just as we said last week, that's fantastic, but let's do it again. Let's keep getting better. Uh, we'll, we'll warm up right now with our little fan mail in our clubhouse section. And uh, both, it's okay. We'll start with you today. Sounds good. Okay. We, we got a lot of questions um, after last week regarding two items. Uh, one was, you know, how do scouts evaluate? They wanted to hear about the grading system. But I thought that the second topic was much better, and I think it'll go hand-in-hand hand with Kevin and Sal's question. Um, we had a pitcher by the name of, uh, let's see, Jeff, 15, from Wisconsin, left-handed pitcher. Um, he asks, Bull, as a former professional pitcher and a scout and a coach, what were some things that you reminded yourself of with self-talk when you were correcting yourself on the mound? And 
I'd like for you to, to talk about that, but also talk about things that you preach to pitchers nowadays when you're out there as well. So both your self-talk and how you've kind of transferred that to, to other pitchers out there. Um, that's, that's a great question. It's, uh, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got when I became a professional pitcher was I was going to be my own best pitching coach. Um, and as a 18 year old, you're trying to figure out how does that come into play? Well, I know my body, I know what I'm capable of doing and I know what feels right. Uh, when the ball comes out, when it feels right. Uh, and then the result of the pitch usually tells you when you're in sync and in rhythm and timing is correct. And when you throw a pitch that's not anywhere near the plate, then you know that something went wrong. And you should you should really, really find what your keys are. And, you, uh, you, know, uh, you know, one of the things you see – I was a left-handed pitcher and our young man was a left-handed pitcher as a left-handed pitcher. When you miss up and away, two things, uh, two or three things are happening. Uh, you usually you're rushed at your balance, your front side's not online and your hands are late. <clears throat> um, one and two cause number three to happen. Your hands have to be on time with your body. So, uh, one of the things that I learned was do less to do more. You say that to some young pitchers now and they look at you like you have three heads and they don't understand it. Well, when your body's in control, you have a better chance of being in control of your pitches. So that's doing less. You don't have to try to throw every pitch 100 miles per hour. You need to stay on time. You need to stay balanced. You need to stay in a good rhythm with your hands breaking. And you need to stay closed, pointing to where your target is. Your head needs to be still. And, and a lot of good things happen off of all off of that. And they're they're not uh, uh, biological fixes. They're not super analytic. They're just body awareness. So. I like that. That's uh, and I know Sal, you wanted to weigh in on something well, here. Yeah, there's just from you know again everything Bull touches on. <clears throat> uh, you could draw it down a level to developmental skills, and what hap what I think is happening is kids are not getting uh, any free play, and free play could be anything from going out and climbing around in the playground to going out to the field with their buddies and playing, shooting hoops. You know, I remember, again, not to always be that, well, I remember when, but, you know, the athletes I grew up with, we would go to the field with our gloves and bats and balls and basketball and football and maybe do a couple of things. So, you know, real simply, I'll put it and leave it at this. The more coordination a, a child can develop uh, when they're sensitive to those skills being developed and they're, you know, up into their mid-teens, late teens, the higher their skill level could be. So, you know, kids who are only doing, you know, one sport at a low level are missing out and are going to have a pretty low ceiling for skill acquisition if they're not developing their coordination. Sal, so can, can I add to that to just, uh, you know, you saying that uh, as a kid growing up, I lived about a mile from the elementary school 
So I would run to the school with my glove and a rubber-coated baseball, and I would have Steve Carlton pitching against Bob Gibson that day. And I, and I literally would play a nine-inning game, and when the ball came off, I would make diving plays. But I did that four or five days a week. You know, the one neighbor that lived across the street came out on Labor Day and said, we're trying to have a picnic, and all I hear is boom, boom, boom. <laughs> You know, and, and that's when I was a junior in high school, probably throwing it in the low to mid-90s. <laughs> he said, can't you take a day off? <laughs> um, but I don't see any kids doing that. Um, but, you know, I, you know, in copying off of Tom Seaver or Jim Palmer or Bob Gibson or Steve Carlton, their deliveries were perfect. You know, they, they had rhythm and timing. They had balance. They had direction. Their, their arm exploded forward. I, I tried to, you know, throw curveballs and I tried to throw fastballs to different parts of the strike zone, like like I watched on TV them doing. Um, it's amazing. There's a million games on every day, and I don't know if kids even watch anymore. Yeah. And, and there's tremendous analysts. You know, you put the Mets on and Ron Darling and – Keith Hernandez talk about the game and David Cohn and Paul O'Neill and Jim Palmer with the Orioles. I mean, there's uh, Ruben Amaro with the Phillies. There's unbelievable people talking about common sense things. And I don't know if anybody pays attention. Uh, Clearly, I don't think they are. And they're not taking the initiative that it takes to become better. Yeah, I want to jump in here. Yeah, we go ahead. Yeah, because you know I like to name drop here and there, but I'm I'm doing it as a as a point of reference, and and, and two things. Um, when 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 Paul was talking about keeping your head still, I remember having a conversation in a Dominican bar, where it was kind of a fancy hotel bar at about two a.m. with Pedro Martinez for about forty minutes about pitching, and Pedro Pedro said to me that the most important thing that he does is he keeps his eyes locked on the target by keep, keeping his chin locked on the target. And and I did that this week with one of the kids, and they've suddenly got better. Um, you know, so that's that's what you see. It, you know, it, it's all these little things that you learn about yourself, but you need to take it to the next day. You can't just be told something, do it, and then – and then, uh, and then forget that it even happened. You got to bring that to the party every game, and uh, you know. So, that, so that's that, that's very important. And Sal's comments too. Um, you know, that that's what it's all about: free play, uh, learn some quickness. Buck Showalter, uh, we talked one time about. Uh, we were talking about press guides, and he he said, "Look in this press guide here." He says, "Look at all of my." And this is when the Orioles were good. And he said, look at all my players. Look how many of them have played three, two or three sports. You know, they play three sports. They learn good things from the different sports. So I have nothing wrong with being totally focused on one sport. If that's your thing, I get it. But there's no reason why you can't even just fool around playing a little basketball or a little something else and uh, and focus on becoming more of an athlete because I think we're seeing that now in, 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 the, um, in the major leagues. You know, we're seeing a lot of showcase players – and then we're seeing the kids who are more athletic uh, moving ahead. And I think the game is going to get more athletic as we move along. So try to get ahead of the curve. And, uh, you know, Kevin, that's Kevin, little- Kevin, can I just do a quick add on the head? 
Yeah. Uh, I, I heard this at an early age. Um, the human head weighs between, and Sal might know, between 18 and 20 pounds. And if you're violently throwing your head as a hitter or a pitcher, first of all, you're not, as a pitcher, you're not seeing your target. As, you're, as a hitter, you're not seeing the ball. And then you're taking your body completely out of balance with a 20-pound object that's violently moving in the wrong direction. So, you know, like you said, touch, you know, touch your chin to your shoulder, keep your eyes on your target and see every pitch you throw. It's such an easy fix for kids to slow down and see the pitch. Yeah, and it really works. I've seen, seen it in action. And, uh, and, and, and when you do something like that, then you learn to repeat it. Because what are we seeing, guys? And we talk about this all the time. These guys all throw 97, whatever they throw, 105. I don't even want to hear any numbers anymore. And, and, they, and they can't command. You know, Tommy Glavin told me after his, uh, after his um, rookie year when he lost 17 games, I believe, he, he went to all the different hitters on his team and said, what's the hardest pitch to hit? And they all told him, uh, fastball, low and away in the corner. So that winner, that's all he worked on, fastball, low and away, corner, right-handers, left-handers. From that point forward, he goes to become a Hall of Fame pitcher. So, you know, it's not about gaining two miles on your, you know, it's about gaining command, and you need to do the little things right to get that command. You know, that that repeatable delivery, repeatable batting stance, create muscle memory of doing things the right way, and you got to do it a lot. It doesn't happen in a weight room. It happens on a baseball field. Great point. I think that's what our audience gets. There's no real quick fix to any of this. It's deliberate practice. And I like the point you guys both made, especially from Pedro and that Dominican bar. If you control your chin, you control your head. The heaviest, the head is the heaviest thing on your body. You'll tend to control your body if you do that. Um, with, with that, uh, Kevin, we'll go to your question here from Michael in New York. Uh, a lot of people were intrigued by your Barry Bonds point in the last podcast. Um, and a point that I think you relate to your daughter, which helped her with her home run prowess in college a, as a hitter. But you, you explained Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds approach with, it was a punch with the backhand. So our audience was, was interested in with the number of great hitters that you've met, spoke with, and, and even include yourself. You were a tremendous hitter as a, as a college baseball player. What are some other tidbits that you've learned from hitters, um, and some other tidbits that, that you've, uh, used it yourself as a, as a college player that you'd like to share with some of these young players out there. And this is from Michael from New York, 16 years old, right-handed hitter. Yeah, Michael, a couple of quick things. First of all, the punch still works. If you, uh, who, who had a conversation with Barry Bonds this week, Jock Peterson, Jock Peterson comes out, hits like uh, three homers next game. Um, and what's he doing? Look, look at his swing. He's not getting long, you know, um, uh, you know, he's just punching with that backhand and, uh, and that back arm close to his body. And that that's where he – and, again, you need pitch recognition. There's a million things you need, but that's the, the beginning of it. Real quick, I'll go through a couple of little things. And I'm going to pick three three really good hitters uh, that, I, you know, I've had conversations with millions of hitters, you know, um, you know, so many. But let's start with Tony Gwynn because he was my guy out in San Diego. And I'm going to give you a little drill. That's the greatest drill in the world. And um, – uh, he he loves flips and all those kind of things. But when he really needed Tony's big problem was his back knee. He uh, because of his uh, he was only struggle when he had problems with the knee, and it was because of uh, you know he had an injured knee. He had he had a weak knee from playing basketball, so that's when his back, his swing would get off. So to correct himself, 
Sometimes he would take the simplest thing. He would take a tee. He'd do it in his garage or he'd do it in front of his garage in a driveway. Imagine seeing that in Poway, California, seeing Tony Gwynn setting up a little screen, you know, a little screen. Or he'd do it again. You could even do it against the garage door. And he would have the wiffle. He'd have the tee and he'd have a bunch of wiffle balls. And he would just he would work on getting the proper rotation on the ball when hitting it by spinning it properly. And he would try to get the net and it would hit the, the goal would be. The tee would be about, say, let's say six, seven feet away from the net. And the goal would be to hit it into the net and have the, tee, the, the wiffle ball roll right back to the tee. When he did that, he knew that, that, that he was, he was, his, his uh, path to the ball was good. And that's Tony Gwynn. Let's go over to Cal Ripken Jr. Um, Cal and I talked on the, uh, uh, the Yoda Saga. Again, I'm, I'm name dropping, but that's why I'm here. Um, Otisago Hotel is where the Hall of Fame is. We all sit out there and hang out. I've uh, been to about 20 Hall of Fame inductions. Haven't gone last couple of years, but uh, it overlooks, uh, a, you know, a beautiful lake. So it's, a, it's an unbelievable baseball setting. And so Sal is out, uh, Sal, uh, Cal is out there demonstrating his swing to me on the veranda of the Otisago. And then he's telling me, you know, and he would change his stance here and there, but like, for, I'll give one little example. Like, uh, if you have uh, trouble waiting on a pitch, you know, you, you, so many kids get themselves out from when I, when I watch games. They swing too early. They don't, they don't let their body react. So he has a drill, much like soft toss, but it, it's, it's, he calls it the lob drill. And he would actually, you know, him and his brother, Billy's an expert on this too, if not more so than Cal. Because uh, Cal had wonderful natural abilities. Billy had good abilities, but really worked it up. So you have a, a you get behind the pitching screen, pretty close to the batter. You know, probably about fifteen feet or so, maybe a little longer. You figure it out how the age of the kid, and not flip and not throw, but lob, just lob, uh, lob the ball, and that and, and then you have to stay back on it and almost like a, a slow pitch softball, but not quite that much of an arc. And you do that over and over again, and you also combine that with the one hand drill where you take your left, if you're, I'm a, uh, you, I'm, you're a right-handed hitter. Now you take your left, your bottom hand off the bat, either way, bottom hand off the bat, choke up a little bit. So you have a little bit of back control, but you want to try to have, you don't want to choke up too much. And you also just swing one handed and try that as well. That gives you ability to stay back on the ball, gives you longer to see the ball, all kinds of, of, uh, of positive things. And that's how that's, you know, that's kind of how you, uh, you build an ideal swing, you know, and you, and you go from there and you keep working. And Cal, uh, one other thing, this is pretty interesting. Cal used to always, uh, uh, another player told me this, that uh, Cal told him he was, uh, this guy was in the minor leagues. Cal was in Rochester, was getting his number retired or something. And, and, and the player, young player was saying, you know, I really have trouble late in the season. I get tired. So I moved to a lighter bat. Cal's, Cal, thought, Cal thought it would be better to move to a heavier bat and you'd have better bat control that way. So, Again, these are all adjustments you make. And then finally, another guy I've talked hitting, you know, as a coach, manager, I loved speaking with him, you know, Don Manningly, you know, his whole thing is, you know, it, it, it's basically the path of the swing, you know. And he, 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 it's so basic. Again, all we're doing is basic things here because you guys try to make it too hard sometimes on yourself. And, and Donnie's big thing is when you make contact, you got your swing going, you make contact. Don't look up to see the where the ball's going. I see that over and over again. These kids make contact, look up, pull off the ball, or they don't make contact because they're looking up, pulling off the ball. Your head should be right straight down 
on that on that uh, pitch. You, you, you'll know where to run, believe me, when you hit the ball. You don't have to look at the ball. So keep the head down. And one of the little things he would do, and some other hitters have told me, they would take a, a softball, you know, one of those Dago softballs. You can do it with a baseball, but you stick it out in front of the opposite, on the opposite end of the plate. So when you finish your swing, you're looking down at that softball. So you're not looking up. And that, that keeps your head down. So that's just three little tips from uh, some of the greatest hitters we've ever had. And the other – the other bonus thing I want to give you is um, Merv Rettman, who was the hitting coach for Tony. I think came out in nineteen. Merv is a great, great. He was a great guy to know. He, he was all about um, uh, really keeping things simple, but also keeping things uh, light. And uh, and he and he said that what made Tony Gwynn a great hitter was his pace was perfect. And try to hang with me here. What I'm trying to say is that every swing is not the same. Tony. Tony would be looking for a changeup, 97-mile-per-hour fastball would come, but he'd be hit right up the middle. Then he would get the changeup, and, you know, uh, he'd do damage with that because his his bat would be at the right pace. So as a hit, you got to be at the right pace with the pitcher and the pitch. So take take that in mind, too. And if you practice all this stuff, I think you'll become a better hitter. Sal, you have something you want to add? Well, you know, we had talked earlier, uh, the first show, about um, the injuries from swinging the bat. And aside from how sound you think the different techniques are of teaching hitting, uh, I'm going to use Aaron Judge because I'm relatively familiar with the guy who is his hitting coach, and he teaches a pretty unique method from my position. And again, I'm not judging it whether it's a, a good or bad technique, but it's a very unique and specific technique. If the if the athlete in this case, Aaron Judge, isn't training specifically to match that technique with um, his training, if that if they don't match, that guy's going to have issues. And I think this is a long-winded way of saying these techniques have gotten complex, which is fine, but the weight room has not kept up. And the training, let's just say training, I hate even the term the way the training has not kept up with it. So you're you're asking for trouble. You're you're getting a, a, a powerful guy like Judge to swing in this very specific manner. And if his training doesn't match that and support that, he's going to get into trouble when he's swinging at live pitching. Because as Kevin said, every swing can be different. If you're not training along those ways to make that possible, you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah, and I think Judge has done a good job of um, – he, he stayed healthy, um, you know, the last few years. Um, I'm not, I think, I'm not criticizing I think, him. I'm just saying – No, I think – but my point is I think he's altered his training to what you were saying, to yeah. how he swings. Well, suddenly we don't see the calf injuries anymore, right? So and you he know, had, yeah, he had all kinds of trunk – whether it was back, he had some oblique issues, he had all kinds and of – he's out with a calf injury or an ankle injury right now, you know, the other big guy, Stan. So, so all that makes sense. Um, so I think you can make adjustments and I think, I think judges made some major adjustments and it also helps when you're like six six two fifty. you know, yeah. you, you're going to hit the ball a long way. One other point I forgot to mention on Tony Gwynn, and this is a great little point. Focus is a big thing for all hitters and this works at any level, but I asked Tony once, what do you focus on as the pitcher gets going? And, um, and because Tony's genius was his ability to see the ball the whole way in the release point. And so he would focus, and it, a lot of kids do this already. So if you do this already, good for you. But as the pitcher starts his wind up, they fo- Tony would focus on the logo of the cap, and then he would 
he would then as the pitcher would get going in his windup, he would slide over right hand or left hand and make a picture frame. And he literally would have a picture frame that he'd work on this sometimes. He would have somebody hold a picture frame. And he would he would he would see the ball coming out of that picture frame from the release point. So cap to picture frame. And that got him uh, going on, you know, being better, better watch tracking the ball. And uh, and he, he was, uh, you know, Tony and Tony did video, too, tons of video, too. So there's all kinds of things there. Well, those are great points. I think it goes back to your original point about concentration and deliberate practice and just being present, no matter if you're a pitcher or hitter. So we're going to go to you now. Um, we have we figured we'd reward New Zealand for, for making this one of their most popular podcasts. So we have James Matthews, 14 years old. He's actually was the national player of the year this past year in New Zealand for baseball shortstop. Right now, his 60 time is seven flat. And he wants to know how he can get his 60 time um, much quicker. So when the time comes for him to be a prospect, that he's a viable prospect as it pertains to speed. Do you have any tips for him as to how to improve his 60 time with that specific exercise? And I know you're going to get down to basics with this, so I'm going to let you roll with it. Yeah, I mean, there's um, one of my mentors is, a, is Coach Radcliffe at Oregon, who was responsible for the um, great track program and was hand in glove with Coach Chip Kelly when they um, stormed the college football scene and kind of changed the way the game is played. Um, from college to the lowest level. He used to say the best way to get fast is to run fast. So, you know, that's an oversimplification. But I think the the danger as a 14-year-old, um, and this is whether you're, you know, a starting uh, baseball player or you're an experienced baseball player, is to focus on that time. There's so many things that go into getting faster that go beyond the clock. Um, we had seen a video, the guys of some pro players – um, running from first to second, at whether it was they were stealing a base or acting as if a ball were hit. And of the, the guys I saw, they all took false steps. And a false step, James, is when you are moving your feet and not moving your hips. So one of the premier things you can do before you even worry about how you get going is make sure that you are not false stepping when you're starting. And that's what you, you could lose a whole lot of time um, – and I'm, I'm talking about time in the sense of how the game happens. Of course, on the clock, if you're being timed um, out of a, an unnatural starting position, you know, which you're not in in baseball, which is a sprinter start, that also you can't full step there. But on the field, you have to do what, it, what you can to eliminate that full step. Um, there are a series of very simple fundamental drills that are designed to improve your cadence well, actually, I should start. Running is a top-down, so it's going to improve your posture, which goes to our point earlier about the head position. Um, your posture determines where your foot hits the ground. You, you want your foot to be under your hip, and you want to have a good cadence. Um, and all those things help you to be fast. And there's a series of very simple drills that can be done, but those are the things that you need to work on. You need to work, especially as a 14-year-old, on that start. You have to get as fast as you can in the in that first 10 to 20 yards. And that is where all of the proper fundamentals come into play. You have to be in, in you have to be in that good position. You can't have a full step and you have to have a, a good foot on into the ground a, a, as a way to get you propelling yourself forward. So what, what part of your foot should hit the ground? 
Well, it should be your forefoot. I mean, your heel is going to hit with the force that your foot is hitting the ground. As a rebound, your heel is going to come down. But, you know, you should not be heel, you know, heel first, which I see a lot. And I see a lot of overstriding. Overstriding, especially in the field sports. Uh, I work with a lot of lacrosse players. Overstriding results in the heel strike, which results in you slowing down, which then leads to all kinds of injuries. So you want to have your forefoot hit the ground. It goes back to the point we had <clears throat> where I mentioned we see a lot of weak, I see a lot of bad ankle range of motion and a lot of weak feet. And if your feet and ankles aren't strong, um, you could you have the, a lot of those uh, technical problems with your running fundamentals. No, I like that. I think that'll help James out a ton. And it, like, like I say, with all of our resident experts and, and our co-host, Kevin, you guys hit the space between the notes. So James, take that and, and um, try to build from that and, and get more aware of what Sal's talking about with posture. I, Dave, one other thing real quick. I think yeah. we'll, um, I wonder, I, I remember, because I talked to Will about this a few weeks ago, actually, with, with getting kids to improve faster. And I think he has a good point about downhill running. Yeah, Bull, share that story with us about the Princeton uh, coach. Bull. Yeah, I had a young man that I scouted in high school from the Trenton area and uh, could could swing the bat. He had really good hands, could throw, uh, just was not a good runner, not, not very athletic in his running, but he was a strong-bodied kid and worked really hard. His father sent him to uh, Princeton University to the track coach, and he was an old-school track coach who did, I'm sure, a lot of the stuff that Sal's talking about but it, they, uh, they went to a hill and they ran downhill a lot. And he thought that that was one of the things that really got him clicked for him to increase his foot speed. And he ended up going from a 4-6 plus runner home to first down to a 4-3 and occasionally underneath 4-3. Well, how, how steep was that hill? I mean, are we talking big hills? Are we talking little hills? What are we doing? Um. I, uh, I would say uh, I'd be lying if I told you I knew. Okay. Sure. No, that's understandable. From my understanding, you do not want to run down a steep hill. Uh, you want to have something that is, is a, slow, a downward slope. I, I, again, I, I, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you, but I know it should be a gradual slope, not like you're running down a ski hill. Right. It's funny. Um, the reason I wanted to... 30 degrees south. Well, that, I, I believe that would be too steep. And my, okay. I, I might be wrong, but okay. um, I think it's a much more subtle slope because, yeah. you know, there's it, it's just like uphill running. And Kevin and I had talked about this 100 years ago when um, Jose Reyes was having all kinds of hamstring problems and they had him doing stadium stairs which is one of the worst things you could do for your hamstring. So just as going uphill or up an incline too steep is bad, the same could be uh, held for running down. We'll look back to that. Uh, for I'll tell you what, I'll do research and find that uh, find that for you. The key is, I think, is you, your, your launch angle has to be less steep than your hill angle when you're running. You want to keep that in that kind of general area. And, uh, and one final point on that. I remember a few years ago, the Yankees made a big deal about they built a hill in Tampa yeah. in spring training, and they would have the players running up the hill. And I don't think they had a lot of, a lot of success with this. And, again, you live and learn. I didn't know any of this at the time. 
course, I would have uh, asked questions about it. But uh, so sometimes, uh, you know, they just don't, uh, they maybe get it a little backwards. Uh, I think that's Mount Disabled List. <laughs> exactly. That's right. We'll get a flag for it. We, um, so we'll move on to question number four now, last question. Um, I'll take this one on, but I'd love for have, have you guys to contribute to this because I think you'll all have a, a different perspective on it. Um, the question was asked from Don, 13 years old in New Jersey. Um, can you tell me how to eliminate getting into a hitting slump? And I kind of laughed when I saw this. Um, you know, I, I'd like to change the word, if it's okay with Don, to minimize hitting slumps. And I think the first thing is you've got to have short-term memory. Um, you have to approach every at-bat like it's a new experience. You register what, what went on, and you put it in your pocket, and you learn the next time. Um, so three points I have for, for Don, you know, like we, we try to do with all our points, keep it simple. you got to get a good ball to hit. Um, that's first and foremost. Uh, second, I think you've got a proper thinking. You know, did you do your homework? Did you watch the pitcher? Did you get a scatter report on the pitcher? Do you understand your approach at the plate? Uh, we talked about that. Bull talked about it last week. And so did Kevin in terms of, you know, are you going to dominate the inner half, adjust to the outer? Whatever your approach is, you've got to be consistent. you got to know maybe what his best pitch is, what's his out pitch when you have two strikes. That's all part of proper thinking up there. And then the third thing, I, I believe in this, I think you got to be quick with the bat. Be quick, but don't hurry. Um, you got to stay on that glide path. Um, you know, there's three kinds of slumps, Don. Uh, you know, there's the mechanical one. And I think mechanical one we kind of touched on. If you're in a good routine and you're about process, video yourself, uh, do a lot of T work. That was my, I always went back to the T. Um, I did a lot of tracking um, in the bullpen where I was just watching pitches so I could learn the movement of pitches. A lot of fungo hitting so I could get barrel awareness. I think we heard Coach Turgeon talk about that last week. And then really tried to understand my results. If I was grounding the ball out, rolling over, I knew I was too early. If I was flying out, generally I was late based on my glide path. If I was popping up or squibs, you know, I was taking my head off the ball. I had to adjust my chin. I have a little bit more chin discipline. Um, so for me, that was, you know, the mechanical stuff. For the tough luck outs, that's another type of slump. You know, you got to kind of see your way through that. Stay with the process. Um, stick with what you do well. Even good at-bats can produce outs. I mean, think about a three out of ten. Times, if you're successful, you're a Hall of Famer. Any other profession in the world, um, you know, are you going to be mentally tough enough to fail seven out of ten times and, and still go there with a good approach? I mean, you've got to be tough. Um, and that kind of leads me to the, to the last one. When you have tough luck, some little things I do, you know, I learned how to bunt. Uh, sometimes getting a bunt base hit gets you out of that. I also, every now and then, would adjust my position in the box if I was hitting atom balls where I was hitting – Balls right at people all the time. Adjusting up or back in the box would sometimes change that angle for me. Um, and, I, and I know Kevin wants to weigh in on, on something. But the last one is the mental slump. That's the one you, you want to avoid. And that's the one you have control of, I think, more than anything else. Um, you've got to have good self-talk. I always caution kids, don't say, I'm having tough luck, because you could talk it into existence. Um, stay with your approach and process. Um you know, don't get caught up in the numbers. And I think a common theme you've heard in this segment is you've got to be present um, in each at bat. And quick, quick thing I learned from an archer, and then I'll let Kevin, I know Bull wants to talk too with, about this, um, understanding that when you approach an at bat, I was asked by an archer one time, I was a high school student in gym class, and he said, what are you shooting at? And he pulled me out specifically because I was a two-sport athlete. And I said, I'm trying to hit the center of the center. And I thought I had him. And he said to me, 
um, I'm trying to hit the center of myself. And it's kind of zen-like, but you can kind of have better approaches at bat if every at bat isn't about a number. Uh, please stay away from the analytics with that stuff. Um, you know, you want to have good at bats for the sake of having good at bats and really define your experience uh, based on that one at bat. Short-term memory to me, Don, is, is, is a good way to go. So, uh, Kevin, I know you were, you were jumping in first here. What, what would you have to add to that? Well, actually, I, I'm jumping in, but I'm going to toss it to Bull because uh, he knows a little bit more about this subject. But I wrote a little bit about it for Ball 9 um, a few, few months ago. And there's different tools out there. And I know there's a thing out there that Dodgers use called Win Reality. And I know Bull knows a little bit more about it than I do. So I just, you know, I want him to wait, uh, throw that around a little bit. Okay. Uh, you know, first weigh in on the, on the slump thing. Uh, keep it simple. Um, don't clutter your head. Uh, had the great fortune of working with Charlie Manuel uh, with the Cleveland Indians when he was the hitting coach and the manager and then ended up managing the world championship Phillies. And one of the best hitting coaches in, in my, my time in professional baseball. And I asked him when my son was in his teens playing in high school, you know, one piece of advice, uh, know thine, know thine self as Charlie would say, Get a good pitch and put a good swing on it. Okay, know thy know thine self. Am I a high ball hitter, a pool hitter? Do I like the ball down and in, up and in? Do I like it up over the plate? And when I got that pitch, I'm going to put a good swing on it. I want to hit the ball hard, hit the ball hard from gap to gap. And that's a very simple, clean approach to declutter your head. If you're up there going, is he going to throw me a slider? Is he going to throw – it's going to be by you. It's got to be clean and clear. See the ball, hit it, put a good swing on it. Um, you know, that's, you know, one little piece of advice. And then uh, what Kevin's talking about, uh, win reality, uh, they actually had their first uh, big-time pieces on Sunday Night Baseball. They had advertisements with C.C. Sabathian and his son, who were big clients and I believe his son just got a scholarship to Georgia Tech University. But it is a virtual hitting system that teaches you pitch recognition, strike zone discipline, and timing, uh, which are the three biggest things in me writing reports of success and failure. Uh, being able to be on time to the ball. Uh, is it a strike or a ball? Is it a fastball or a changeup? And you can literally, with this system, take thousands of pitches a day. And the more pitches you take and swing at and recreate at a game speed or a batting practice speed, whatever it is, it's fabulous. I mean, uh, you know, the growth of people that are using this and the Dodgers have been on it for five years. I think almost every organization now in baseball – with the exception of one and one or two, every big time division one college is using it. Um, and shame on kids. If you have access to it and you're not using it. Yeah. And I think it's a softball softball teams use it as well. And I know we oh, have a lot of. Yeah. yeah my, my bad. Their, their, their market is just as big on softball as it is on baseball. It is huge. 
And uh, how much of this do you think helps with, with injury? You know, with if you're we're taking a lot of repetitions nowadays, you're, we overuse muscles sometimes. Um, train the wrong way, as you know, Sal, Sal's pointed out. There's there's training inadequacies out there. How much of this do you think could help? Not just with you know timing and pitch recognition, but also maybe with overuse of muscles and injury. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, um, a lot of it is just seeing the ball and being on time. And you don't even have to swing; you just have to click, click timing uh, to to to. And and it it literally calculates if your barrel is going to get to that ball. Then you can physically take you know, seven or eight at-bats every day uh, without having a pitcher with a bat in your hand uh, at game speed. Then you can do batting practice if you want where you're just taking swings. But it's uh, to me, it, it's a tremendous tool to create muscle memory and visual memory in the right way. And And the realism of you hitting off of this is – like you are hitting off of Max Scherzer or Chris Sale or or whoever. Uh, you know, they have every major league pitcher. They have every big-time Division One college baseball player, and they've literally uh, animated it like it's that person that they're hitting against. And just to add one little yeah, thing. You wanted to add on to that? Yeah, I just had one, one quick thing. I, you know, I did hear, and I never was able to confirm it, but I did hear that a couple big-time pitchers were kind of upset by this because they, they felt it gave hitters an unfair advantage. Clay, Clayton Kershaw didn't like it. Um, and the other the other way this tool is being used, it's being used by catchers for framing. You know, uh, Yadier Molina uses it to catch all of his pitchers before spring training in virtual reality time. Where he does the click and on Dave, on Wainwright, on Adam Wainwright, on whoever his every guy on his staff has access to him. And the other uh, thing that I've read is that uh, umpires are now using it to help Im- improve their vision in calling balls and strikes. Uh, so I think I think Kevin's going to buy one for Angel Hernandez and see if we can straighten him out. Yeah. Exactly, and I wonder if it has a one, does it have a one knee uh, uh, drill? No, no, you must. Oh, one, you must. It, it doesn't work unless you're on both feet. <laughs> Just like real life. Yes. Uh, now you got something you wanted to add? Yeah, you had mentioned the injury issue, so you just have to. There's a basic rule. Uh, and I think Bull would concur that swinging at game speed is a high-intensity endeavor. So as, vo- as intensity increases, volume, by definition, must decrease. So I think you can't – I can see people getting carried away with that uh, ability to do that. But you have to stay – you know, keep in context what, how many swings you're getting and how many good swings are. And beyond a certain point, you can't swing at your top intensity, just like – to go out and sprint 60 yards at a certain point because you are at a high level of intensity, the volume, the amount of sprints you could do that way has to drop Uh, or else you don't sprint anymore and then you're not teaching yourself to run fast. So that's just a little rule to keep in mind. Yeah, Sal, that's a great point. I know the way they build the training system 
is a lot of it is without actual swinging where you're where, where you're creating muscle memory of tracking pitches properly and uh, learning the strike zone properly and being on time with having your foot down and your hands ready to fire. You don't, you don't have to fire. And then, then you can go in, as you said, and, uh, and develop this at a very, you know, game speed, but at a, on, on a limited basis, you know, it was developed by, uh, you know, former major league general manager and his son that played 10 years in the minor leagues. And, uh, and they did it with, uh, the scientists from the flight training people. So they, they, they put baseball to, to science to do something that's really, uh, very beneficial, I think for hitters. Yeah. Dan O'Dowd, right? That was Dan yes. O'Dowd. Dan O'Dowd and his son, Christopher developed this whole thing, uh, with a, uh, scientist that was involved with uh with uh the the air force's flight training programs well it sounds like a potential interesting guest to have on the show to talk deeper about this yeah we, we, we kind of do it uh so as part of our hitting training both with with my boys and kids that are in our group they have to track a certain number of pitches each night based on a live game so one it gets me to it makes them have to watch live baseball on tv and two, it gets them working on the patterns you're talking about, Bull, with pitch recognition, but more so the separation and the timing. But I, I like what Win Reality does because it, it takes the camera angle out of the way. It takes uh, having to wait for a game. And really, you could do it on your terms. Yeah. Uh, great, great resource. I appreciate you bringing that up. And Kevin, yeah. thanks for uh, plugging that in. So, awesome. so we, uh, we had a, a great mailbag section. Um, we'll, we'll – I'd like to move us down to the dugout for a quick segment. I know there's always stuff rolling around your mind, Kevin, on baseball, things you saw, things you're thinking about, conversations you've had. Um, let's make our way down to the dugout just for a quick segment uh, before we, we sign off today. And, uh, Kevin, I'll kind of throw it back at you. Is something mulling around your mind today that you want to throw at the group here to, to think about uh, with baseball to talk about um, to kind of leave our audience with? Well, I, I think um... – uh, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the team game. I think people, I, I think one of the things we, we 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 overlook, it becomes such an individual game, and the things we talk about, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. You know, all these. Let's start to uh, understand it's a team game, and and that's one thing I'm seeing less of. But the teams that do it have great success. And again, being at a youth tournament all week, I, I saw the teams that were in it for each other we're really the more successful teams, you know, not just cheering on your teammate, but uh, maybe give them a good suggestion, a pat on the back if things go wrong. So I'd like to see a little bit more of good teammates because, you know, you see some things in the major leagues. I mean, I'm, I'm going to mention one thing and I'll, I'll get out. Uh, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, a highlight, I'll call it a highlight, but it was actually a low light. I think it was with the Tampa team, but the, when uh, the Yankees organization, a former number one pick, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he, he, he hits a ball, the down one run in the ninth inning, hits a ball, uh, thinks it's a home run, doing the whole backflip thing, running sideways at first base. And, of course, it's not a home run. He gets thrown out for the last out of the game at second base. And uh, 
I'll throw it over to Bull. Uh, what do you think a guy like Earl Weaver or uh, Sparky Anderson or, or people like that would, would say to something like that? Because we know what the managers of today are saying. They look the other way. What do you think uh, Bull, a, a former manager, would say about that? It, it, it wouldn't be pretty. It would, uh, um, you know, you know, it's, it, it is a different world and managers need to be patient. Um, but players need to be more responsible. You know, one of the things when I, we did a youth, uh, scout team program, you know, we talked to kids about being selfish team players, selfish to make yourself better, but this is a team game and you being the best player you can be, um, and playing together as a team makes everyone better. And that, that's such a lost uh, world uh, that we now live in. Uh, I watch guys with seven ERAs that strike somebody out, out and celebrate, and I just, I just laugh. I watch guys flip bats that if, you know, they were playing against Bob Gibson, they, they, they better bring a whole uh, – a whole thing of armor, <laughs> the, the way some of these, you know, it's, you know, there's, there is a right way to play the game. You know, you, you, you play hard, you work hard, you know, nothing comes easy. If it was easy, anybody could do it. Uh, my brother had that on the refrigerator for his son who played nine years in the minor leagues. You know, if, if what your dream was is easy, anybody would be able to do it. So you have to go work hard. Um, and when you work hard, you, they, you then play as a team. So I like that point, Bull. And I think that's a great time to, to wrap it up. I, I love the phrase and it's, I, I think it's in a league of their own. Tom Hanks says it, uh, he, he was playing the character, the manager It's the hard that makes it great. Um, and they, like you said, if it was hard, everybody would be doing it. But I, I want to thank uh, our resident experts, Bull and Sal, Hit it out of the park again today. Uh, pardon the pun. Uh, Kevin, America's most beloved sports writer. Um, we're getting texts coming in as the show's going on right now, wondering when I can get on the phone with him to talk about being on the show. So thank you for your your popularity and your kindness over the years, getting all these people interested in what we're doing. I want to thank our sponsor, One on One. You can find them at One on One, Your Shot on One. Um, on Twitter or at One on One, Your Shot in Your Terms. On Instagram, we appreciate their their support and please make sure you download us spotify stitcher apple amazon and now iHeartRadio. make sure you download listen follow subscribe and give us as many hearts as possible guys thanks so much for your time today as kevin as your daughters say i think we we gave uh, people got a better baseball iq from listening to the show today so please send us your emails and your responses to coaching kernan at protonmail.com please follow us on twitter as well and Thanks again, and we'll tune in next week. Uh, Same time, same channel. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.